the teachings of the apostles, or the catechism of the early church. Join Pastor Hook in today's teaching of the Didache. So we are in the Didache. We left off yesterday in chapter 15, uh, the first part uh, where we were talking about kind of church order and structure and that sort of thing. Um, but today we're just going to, there's only two more verses left in chapter 15. Uh, and so let's, let's just read those and then we'll refl reflect on it. So this is uh, chapter 15, uh, verse 3. And reprove one another, not in wrath, but in peace, as you find in the gospel. And let none speak with any who has done a wrong to his neighbor, nor let him hear a word from you until he repents. But your prayers and your alms and all your acts perform as you find in the gospel of the Lord. So a couple different thoughts here. First of all, reprove another, one another, not in wrath, but in peace. Now, reproving uh, is this word that's like uh, expose or come to light or show somebody their errors. Uh, and in the Christian faith, there's are, there are two types of people in the world. There are those who have been baptized, and so they're therefore in the kingdom of God. And then there are those who are not in the kingdom of God. And how the Christians should treat each uh, is, is kind of based upon whether or not they're in the kingdom or they're not in the kingdom. So if you're not in the kingdom of God, if you haven't been baptized, if you are a, uh, what do you call that? It's... Um, uh, you're you're not a, a Christian, I guess. I, I wanted to say pagan, but um, that's such a harsh word. But basically, you're not in the kingdom. Um, and uh, if a Christian encounters somebody who's not in the kingdom, the command from God is to basically love them unconditionally. Uh, love them as yourself. They're, they're like the good Samaritan that you normally wouldn't even associate, but you see them uh, lying on the on the path and they're bleeding and they're hurting. And so the, the call for every Christian to, to every non-Christian is to love. And I, you know, to try to love as Jesus did, which was unconditionally and um, without uh, judgment or whatever. I mean, just, ju just love. And so if a person is uh, outside of the kingdom, the call of every Christian is to love that person. But if a person's inside the kingdom, if they've been baptized, then they've been marked with the sign of, cro of the cross. Uh, they've been brought into the kingdom. Uh, they are now um, in the kingdom. And I have this, um, this uh, way of thinking of it, uh, which I call the Spider-Man principle. And the Spider-Man principle comes back from Spider-Man. Uh, if you've ever watched Spider-Man, when I was a kid... I used to read Spider-Man comic books. It was my one thing, my one respite in life. And I loved, of all the superheroes, my favorite superhero was Spider-Man because he has a very clever wit. He always has the most incredible comeback uh, to any situation. And, and it just, just makes you laugh and you giggle because he's just got a sharp wit. Um, and of course, he's the coolest superhero that is, right? So I've always loved Spider-Man. He's my favorite, favorite superhero. Well, anyway... Um, uh, sp just to give you a brief history of what happened with Spider-Man is he got all these superpowers 
the, you know, the power to uh, leap tall buildings and he created web slinging stuff and he can climb buildings and stuff like that. Um, and there was a robbery and uh, in his neighborhood and the robber ran by him and Spider-Man didn't do anything about it. Uh, Peter Parker didn't do anything about it. Well, it turns out that this robber ends up killing his Uncle Ben, Spider-Man's Uncle Ben. So now Spider-Man has this horrible moral dilemma that if he'd have stopped the robbery, if he'd have done the right thing, that Uncle Ben would still be alive. But as the robber passed by Spider-Man, Spider-Man said, hey, this is not my problem. You know, he's, he's a robber. Yes, he's doing the wrong thing, but it, he's really hurting that guy. He's not hurting me. And so I'm just going to ignore the situation. But through this whole thing, he realized that with great power comes great responsibility. So that is the Spider-Man principle, is that with great power comes great responsibility. In other words, if you've been given the gift of spider powers, then you need to use that gift to make the world a better place. And we as Christians have been given a gift, right? We've been given uh, our time, talent, and treasure from God. And so because we're in the kingdom then we are to use our time, talent, and treasure for the kingdom of God. With great power, the power of God in our lives, comes great responsibility. And so uh, so this is probably also why I love Spider-Man, because obviously he has you know, good Christian principles going on in his life. I mean, uh, he has to be a Christian. I don't know how he cannot be. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? In my head, Spider-Man. So it's funny when we do summer camps, um, uh, all the kids at summer camp know that I'm a Spider-Man fanatic, and so sometimes they'll uh, they'll bring you know Spider-Man stuff and give it to me because um, they know I'm a Spider-Man guy. Anyway, so that's the principle. So how does that apply to this? Well, if you are in the kingdom of God, then you have a responsibility to the kingdom to live your life in service of others and to live your life pleasing to God. And that, that is, I mean, it, you get all the rights, but you get, you know, you get all the rights and privileges of being in the kingdom, but you can also, also get all the, the responsibilities of being in the kingdom. So if you're baptized, then another baptized person uh, has the responsibility, the right, the, uh, the, I guess the right, to, if you are doing something that is clearly against the word of God, uh, then the, another Christian has the right to come in and, and to gently inform you, hey, what you're doing is not what a person of your privilege being in the kingdom should be doing. The king would not be happy about what you're doing. And a lot of times the stuff that, that we're doing, you know, we know that it's wrong, um, you know, it convicts our soul and our heart. But there might be things that you're doing that you might not even realize are wrong. Uh, and they don't even occur to you that they're wrong. And so in those situations, you would want another Christian to come into your life and say, hey, you may not want to do that. That's not what God desires in your life. And I, you know, I don't want to say that this is stuff that, um, you know, I mean, it, Obviously, there's in today's world, there's lots of interpretations to what God would be pleased with and what God would not be pleased with, particularly in the political world. Um, like there is no perfect candidate for any office ever. Um, so that means that when you are in the political world, you're always 
um, choosing to guide you and to direct you and to lead you a person who's imperfect. And so uh, I guess what you have to do is look at your values and figure out which imperfections are, are least important to you, which ones you can live with and that sort of thing. I mean, it's unfortunately in the world of democracy that we do have to choose, uh, you know, an imperfect person for everything because what we want is perfect people, right? We, but there are no perfect people. So in the world of politics, it just becomes very, very, very difficult. And um, I would say in the world of politics, nobody has the right to tell you who to vote for. But every, every Christian would have the right to tell you um, these are the things to consider about, you know, the world and laws and policies. And, you know, people are, there are no perfect people. So, I, you know, when it comes to like elections, propositions are one thing. I mean, I think there are some propositions that are clearly, you know, favorable that God would be very pleased with and some that he'd not be pleased with. But when it comes to people, you know, there's no... Well, I, even propositions, though, um, th there is uh, there is this uh, there's a thing called unintended consequences. So, with every law, even a law that everybody can agree this should be a law, it always comes with unintended consequences. Um, and so, those are things to consider when you you know when you consider a, an election and a proposition or a law or something like that. So, that being said. What it says here in the Didache is that you should reprove one another. You should bring to light. So uh, if you see another Christian and perhaps you see them going down a dark path and you know it's going to lead to a dark path, you have the responsibility to go to them and say, um, have you considered this? I'm not sure that, that this is a good path. Uh, and, and Jesus even talks about this too. Jesus talks about um, speaking the truth in love which he did all the time. He spoke the truth. Uh, last Sunday in our sermon, we looked at the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus just spoke the truth to her. And the truth can be very revealing. Uh, the truth can open up your eyes. The truth can widen your, your blind, you know, lower your blind spots, widen your vision and those sort of things. And so uh, we need people to tell us the truth. We need people to tell us the harsh truth. Um, and, and, but we also need them to do it not in wrath, but in peace. I mean, it's the same thing as a parent loving a child, right? When you do a discipline of your child, when you discipline your child, you should do it out of, out of love for the child and not out of wrath, out of anger. And so if you're a person that's prone to fly off the handle and beat up your children, which hopefully, you know, none of, none of us are, um, then you should, you should stop and pause and wait 24 hours before you discipline or do something, um, you know, but, but, you know, you do need, nothing should be done out of wrath. When you're a parent, you do get angry, but, uh, and your kids will see that you're angry. There's no question about it, but don't, you know, ruin their life because of your anger or, you know, just, uh, pause Jesus in worries out, Jesus in anger out, Jesus in, uh, you know, stress release out, and then you discipline. Um, so the same thing goes with people in the kingdom. Don't discipline them out of wrath, but out of peace that you find in the gospel. Of course, Jesus spoke the, the truth in love. Um, and let not anyone speak who's done wrong to his neighbor, nor let him hear a word from you until he repents. And so if you've wronged your neighbor, 
you really need to reconcile with your neighbor. Uh, the whole human condition is simply that we are not happy, we're not content, we're not filled with joy unless we are in relationship with other people. So if you have broken a relationship with your neighbor, which could be anybody, then um, that is not healthy for you as a human being. It's not how God wants you to live. And so you should reconcile with people uh, who've wronged you or you've wronged. That, that There's just no question. And actually, Jesus talks about this, right? Uh, in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus says that if anybody, well, here, we'll take a look at it. This is Matthew 18, 15 to 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them all over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for it, it will be done in, for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So this is Jesus uh, teaching that if your brother or sister sins against you, Go and point out the fault um, just between the two of you. And boy, this is so, I don't know how many times relationships have been broken because one person hurt another person and the other person may have felt it or, you know, may have, uh, the person doing the harm may not have realized how bad the harm was. I mean, I guess that's the, that's the issue. Because we all harm other people all the time, we always we say things, we do things, uh, we you know we we have body language or whatever that hurts other people, and uh, and we don't even know. Sometimes we don't even know it, and so if a person comes to you and say, "Yeah, when you did this, uh, it hurt me," I would say ninety to ninety-five percent of the time that person would say, "Oh my goodness, I am so sorry. I didn't realize that that hurt you so much." Because when we say things or do things in our life, we view them in our own filter. And we don't know how the things that we say and we do interact with other people. They may have a different filter. Like we see, oh, who was it? Um, I was talking to, oh, I was talking to somebody recently that they heard a name. And that name triggered them because uh, a person by that same name did something bad to them when they were younger. Well, um, you know, that name means nothing to me, but say that same name to somebody else and it just brings a whole lot of emotions that are negative and could be bad. And so uh, you, just, you just never know the things you do, whether or not they impact people negatively and severely impact, like major, major impact in their life. Uh, and so it is incumbent upon you that if you've been wronged, or you, or you have an emotional response or something like that and, it ju and you just can't get over it, go to that person and say, listen, this happened and this is, and it just caused me all this pain and this grief and I just wanted you to understand that. And you know, like I say, most of the time that person can say, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that that hurt you so much. That's not been my experience, but please forgive me. I'm sorry. Let's reconcile. Let's be friends. Uh, you know, let's do that. 
Uh, and if you truly love somebody else in the kingdom, then uh, you know you owe it to them if they've done that to you to to go to them and say, "Hey, this hurt uh, me." Um, and if if somebody comes to you and says this hurt, then then you know examine your own life and say, "Oh my goodness, I was in the wrong, and I'm so sorry." Now, if that doesn't work, which the vast majority of the time it does work, if it doesn't work, then you can bring other people or you know try to help people understand. I mean, you can bring more people involved in it. Um, and and that, that happens also. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, the, that whole idea of excommunication, which is basically stopping people from you know, coming to communion or receiving the grace of God, uh, that whole idea is basically based upon this. It's like we have identified that this is a major sin that you are not repentant of, and you need to do that if you want to remain in the kingdom and a part of our fellowship. Um, and you, and if you are a baptized Christian, a part of a fellowship, part of a community of believers, you need to be able to have people that are strong enough to do this in your life. Um, and, um, and that is kind of how the church operates. Uh, but that's, that, is, um, that is basically if somebody's wronged you, uh, but and that it's I guess reproof is kind of the same idea, but reproof is just I think of reproof as being more of a potter, you know, molding clay into a beautiful masterpiece, and um, and that as you encounter Christians in your life, uh, that they will help you see the way that God wants you to live. I one of my favorite examples of this happened when I was in high and college. Uh, we were part of a Christian ministry in in college. Uh, it was a campus ministry, and there weren't a whole lot of us, but one of my friends in that, I had done something really stupid, and he pointed out, a uh, very mature Christian for his age, pointed out to me that I'd done something stupid. And it really, it wasn't just that I'd done something stupid. I just, I just had done something um, without thinking about it. Because I'd always done it that way, and I'd always said those words. And um, then he pointed out to me what I was saying and doing, and it just—it it was what I call a Kairos moment. It was one of those moments to pause and realize um, that those words were hurtful. But not only were they hurtful, but they were—they were hurtful to me because they were—I was. I was creating friction between me and other relationships because I was always acting in the same way. And he was point, and he pointed out to me, and and I've never done that since. I've never I've never tried. Well, I probably have, but I mean, I've tried not to say those words since. I mean, and this was a this was a person who was my peer. This was a I was probably 20, 21 years old at the time, and he was probably twenty twenty one years years old at the time. And and uh, his words and his chastisement, his reprovement had a significant impact not only for that moment but for the rest of my life so just never underestimate the power of gentle correction in another christian's life we do this to our kids all the time um, but as you grow up and grow older and start interfacing with the rest of the world you know find yourself some good mature christians that can help reprove you and help guide you and continue to mold you into the person that god wants you to be because those people are so valuable absolutely so valuable um, so that's what, that's what this whole idea of mutual reproof is. 
is just to find other Christians in your life that will help you move forward. And um, if anybody comes to you and says, hey, you wronged me or you said this or whatever, then uh, listen to it and, uh, and interact with that. And if you need to repent, repent of that, move forward for, in your relationship. And be thankful for anybody that always comes to you and reproves you because reproof is a gift from God. I know at the time it sounds horrible and it can be difficult to deal with, but anytime anybody loves you enough to come and say, hey, I've noticed this and uh, you should deal with it or you did this to me and you need to deal with it, take it and just and just incorporate it into your life and, and thank God for it because that is so important, especially if you're in the kingdom. Because if you're in the kingdom, you have a great power in the kingdom, but with that great power comes great responsibility. The Spider-Man principle actually works in the kingdom. So uh, you should definitely, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're in the kingdom, you need to surround yourself with kingdom people that are willing to help you grow in your faith and grow your root system and grow in your understanding, your love to your fellow human being. That's the whole point of a local congregation is for that kind of stuff. And so um, everybody needs to have that in their life. Uh, but verse 4 in the Didache uh, kind of changes tack a little bit. It says, If your prayers and alms and all your acts, but your prayers and alms and all your acts perform as you find in the gospel of our Lord. So it's basically saying, as you read in the gospel, as you see in the example of Jesus, live your life that way. And it's your prayers. So in your prayers, pray like Jesus would have prayed. Pray for the things that Jesus would have prayed for. When the disciples asked Jesus, what should I pray for? We always want to start with, God, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. Um, this, this physical thing, or I want this, uh, this uh, you know, thing to happen. But the first thing in the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done right? That is the first part of the Lord's Prayer, is God, whatever happens in this life, let your kingdom work in me. Whatever you're going to do in this world, however you're going to format and, and create your kingdom, let me be a part of that. And let me change my life and my will and my hopes and my dreams and everything to align with what your hopes and your dreams and your life are for this world. And that's the first part of the Lord's Prayer. And if you get that right, then everything else in the Lord's Prayer falls into line. I mean, every, all of it, it falls into line. But the first thing has to be first, which is basically, Lord, align my life with your life. Align my will with your will. Let me be your hands and feet in the world, no matter the, no matter the cost, no matter uh, what, what the sacrifice is. Whatever you've called me to do, Lord, let me be that for you. And uh, so if you can do that, if your prayer life, if your alms, if you're giving, right, and all of your acts perform as you find in the gospel. So basically what Jesus calls this, what Paul calls this, is um, this is your spirit, this is your worship. Um, when, you, when you do this, you put your prayers and your alms and all your acts and you, and you align them with the gospel, that is spiritual worship. That is the best form of worship. Uh, it is... It is, that is it. Um, we always think of worship just being on Sunday morning for an hour, but worship truly is your whole life being aligned with God. That is your incredible act of worship for the kingdom. And what the Didache says is that um, that's what your worship should be.
So I think we'll end it there. Um, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, uh, thank you for uh, these words today. May they reprove us and help us to learn how to live in your kingdom. Uh, until we meet again, keep us in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.